0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 131 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega 3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have a real departure on a couple that went to WEG as coach and trainer, but for a different set of reasons than you might be thinking. This is Debbie Las, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the first and the 15th of the month. I have my producer Jen with me again today. Hi Jen.
2: Greetings.
1: Debbie, How's
2: it going? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great sitting around watching this beautiful sunshine in the afternoon here in Florida. How about you? Oh, look at you rubbing it in.
1: (laughs) So mean. A lot of people are just wishing they had sun, much less 10 feet of snow.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, as this show airs on the Ides of March, I don't Uh know what the Ides of March is. I just love to say it because it sounds cool. I
1: should
2: write books. I think I've got a sneaking suspicion it had something to do with with something that bad that happened to with Julius Caesar. Oh, that's, that's that where my, back, huh? my Yeah. I think that's what it was, but anyhow, that's when the weather starts to turn beautiful in many, many parts of the United States. You know, you get those little hints of beautiful and the daffodils start to come up. Mm-hmm. So personally, I think March is an exciting time of the year. So many yeah. possibilities and so
1: much hope. I love it. Little, little flowers pushing up and all that stuff too. And we get to get back on our horses. I'm glad for a little, um, a little springtime fever and a little bit of fun. So we're going to, we're going to actually take a little bit of a stroll back to the WEG month. You remember September? World with all the crazy Equestrian
2: Games. Try on North Carolina. Exactly. 2018. You
1: were there and not that many people were so. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty exciting. But anyway, I, I I thought I would bring to you all some people that happened to be there and why they were there is a pretty interesting story. So let's get to it.
2: Let's get to it. And we're going to do that right after we hear from the great folks at Omega Fields.
3: Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure-glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, low sugar and starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Provenum Probiotic soft treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose.
1: As a qualified and successful equestrian mental skills and mindset coach, Jane Pike has worked with both competitive and recreational horse riders all over the world, inspiring them to new levels of confidence, connection, and performance. Jane hails from New Zealand and is a US and New Zealand board approved coach But we really know her well as a certified mental skills coach. Her certified equine assisted learning facilitator status helps with the mind coach on the Ask the Experts panel for New Zealand Horse and Pony magazine. She regularly contributes as a writer and a coach for the UK site Eventing. And her articles in writing have also been published in Horse and Pony, New Zealand Dressage Bulletin, and UK Horse magazine, just to name a few mental skills coach for Robin and Warwick Schiller for the Team Australia Reigning Team at the 2018 World Equestrian Games. When she's not coaching her fabulous students, Jane hangs out with her beloved horses and family in the South Island of New Zealand. Well, welcome, Jane Pike. I'm so excited to have you on Horsemanship Radio. Where are you hailing from today?
4: Thanks, Debbie. I am hailing from a little town called Dunedin, which is on the South Island of New Zealand. Uh. A little bit far away from you, yeah. <laughs> it is.
1: Isn't it incredible? I'm in California as we speak, and the sun has finally come out. But you're in the middle of your summer, which is always fun to figure we that are, out.
2: We yeah. are, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I've been hearing about this incredible heat wave in Australia. Hopefully, you and your horses are all comfortable and happy.
4: We are. We, we are blessed with a very mild temperature here we don't get the peaks of the highs or the lows of the lows so we kind of we're in the middle in the middle ground oh,
1: nice uh, you know i've talked to so many people who would love to move there i think we just encourage them a little bit <laughs> they, yeah exactly. it, it's, it's such a pure <laughs> it is beautiful it is such a pure, pure island and so you guys keep it that way too i'm really pleased to hear all the things that you put in place to keep your your hay your grasses your environment clean and precious
4: Yeah, we're very blessed in lots of ways. California is a beautiful spot, though, as well. I was there last year and marveled at everything that was around and available. Wonderful.
1: That's right. You came out for the Western States Expo, and I think you'll be doing that again. Am I right?
4: I haven't been yet to the Western States Expo. I'm going there in May. I'm, I'm presenting in May, but last... September and just before I came to California because I went with Robin and Warwick Schiller to the World Equestrian Games, right. and they live in Hollister, so we started there and, and made our way across the country to um to North Carolina for the event. Ah, that's right. On.
1: Yeah, we'll have to talk mm, about that yeah. too because that was uh, that was an event in the horse world. <laughs> that it um, really was um, yeah, unparalleled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, tell us just starting off and introducing you to our listeners. You've never been on the show mm-hmm. before and I'm so excited to hear and get to know you a little bit. I probably know a little very little about you compared to most of our listeners, but for my background, what is your horsey background? What did you grow up with horses?
4: I did grow up with horses yeah I'm originally from Australia so um, I'm an Australian living in New Zealand and I grew up breeding and riding horses in Australia so my mum was horsey from the get-go I mean I got the bug from her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then I was on the showing circuit in Australia probably before I was 10 years old but quite seriously through my teens and late teens and early 20s and that was enough to cement it as a Lifelong passion it was like so many of everyone that will be listening. It's it's so much more than a sport or a hobby. It's very much a lifestyle. So um, yeah, it's just brought so much to my life, and now to be able to integrate that professionally as well I feel very lucky
1: you are you are and that's there's so many people out there saying ah that's true that uh, if only if I could do that Um, but you've you've earned your stripes you've you've done your studies and you've worked with some really great people too and uh, yeah tell us a little bit about uh, let's start with the Weg because I think that's pretty interesting who you who you went Mm -hmm. with and why and then what happened while you were there
4: Yeah. So my background or profession is as an equestrian mental skills and mindset coach. So I work with the riding psychology side of things. I'm not a horse trainer as such. I'm a people trainer, if you like. So um, everything that comes with, well, certainly in the competition side of things with performing under pressure, with really managing your mindset and your mental space to make sure that you're able to get the best out of yourself and get the best out of your horse. Because Quite commonly what happens in competition is, um, you know, we're unable to replicate the same performance level under pressure or or in the ring that we can at home. And so there's a a mental fitness plan that accompanies the regular physical fitness plan. They work alongside each other to make sure that you're, you're really primed to primed for performance, basically. Mm. I, for WEG, I was working with Robin and Warwick. They were part of Team Australia for the Australian Laning Team. And we'd known each other for a while and, be, and had, a bit, oops, excuse me, had been working for a number of months in the lead-up to the event. And then mm. Robin invited me to be her person on the ground mm. at WEG itself. So we spent about five weeks together, I think I flew over there a few weeks prior to the event and then me and a team of two others, which was Katie Negranti and Rachel Longworth, um, we all transported the horses across country from California and then um, spent a little bit of time at Dan James's ranch in Kentucky oh, yeah. just before the event and then went to um, try on itself for the a few days prior and then for the duration of the actual reigning competition at the Games.
1: And what was your experience there? Because I mean, everybody knows about all the rain and all the <laughs> the wetness and everything. But every every photo I really saw from there looked pretty good. You know, we were supposed to be there. We were supposed to come the second week, and they called mm-hmm. us off because of of impending doom. But but it, yeah. it, it sounded like yeah, it you looked, you were able to function.
4: Yeah, it, it was such a mixed bag. I think the rainers we had a really probably the the best end of the deal because we were inside and undercover so the surface was able to be maintained it was a controllable environment mm-hmm. it was quite hot in there at times but that's probably just part and parcel of the climate and everyone was aware that that was going to be the case it's always I mean you can pick it apart all you want but as a team we had an incredible time mm-hmm. we went with the intention of doing our best and keeping a really constructive and positive atmosphere and really just focusing on the shortfalls of the event took away from the fact that, wow, you know, we're here at the World Equestrian Games. We made it. The horses are all in one piece. They're feeling well. They're looking great. Everyone's excited to be here. So let's just get the best out of the experience possible. And that was our intention. And that's really what we carried through for the duration of the event, because You know, it is easy to diminish the fact that you're at the world of question games, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is a deal, this is so exciting and there's all these amazing people, amazing athletes and riders that you're surrounded with and to lose sight of that in the face of other things which perhaps are less than ideal, it would just detract from the experience. So that was, yeah, that was our kind of modus operandi and like I say, we were fortunate in that we weren't heavily impacted by the rain in terms of the actual competition and the rounds itself. But I know other disciplines were really hit hard and I I certainly feel for them. So I guess in some ways it was a blessing that we were able to be like that and not be detrimentally affected by conditions or or weather. Keeping the stress down was something that we really actively set out to manage. The night before the competition, there was – so the first round of the competition was the day after the opening ceremony, so day one – And we opted to actually just go back to the hotel just keep everything really normal and stress-free because just even being at an event like that, the amount of osmosis that (laughs) happens with the energy and, you know, the white noise, it's very hard to actually curate an internal space that's completely divorced from that. So you have to really be mindful of what you need in order to be able to create a sense of normality for yourself.
5: Right.
4: And that will be different for everyone depending on where they're at and how conditioned they are to those particular pressures. But for us, it was creating as much sense of normalcy as possible, taking out, taking some time out, making sure that we're eating properly, making sure that everyone's going to bed you know being aware of how our attitude affected how people feel and you know what we talked about and we had a no complaining rule we had a, a catch word that if anyone felt like the conversation was going in an unhelpful direction or it was detrimentally affecting someone then the the word wasn't a superpower in itself it was actually the word water and we would just go <laughs> water and then it would be like okay cut point, let's go in a different direction. And there was a reason why it was just that word, but it was because I was practicing my American accent. And I started practicing using the word water because my friend tried to order a bottle of water at cafe and they couldn't understand her, So we were like, water, water, water. Water. (laughs) It became a bit of a joke. Yeah. Yeah. It was a personal joke. So that was the word that we used to break tension if need be.
1: Yeah, and and I thought it was about the rain, but you're absolutely right. it, it is a funny word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> did
4: it, yeah for us? it is. Yeah, <laughs> and and remembering as well that it's a lot like we had done a lot of mental preparations prior to the event, so it wasn't so much a matter of troubleshooting on the day. It's it's developing your mental fitness prior that gives you the skills to be able to redirect your focus when necessary to really manage your self talk to ensure that that cultivates or move in the direction of making good decisions and maximizing your level of effort. And so all of those things have been practiced. It's like working out muscles.
5: Um,
4: And by the time you get there, it's a matter of executing skills that you already have rather than introducing something new in a situation where the environment isn't necessarily supportive of that. And I believe that's what we're doing for our horses as well. You know, good horsemanship backgrounds, good horsemanship training provides that emotional agility and mental resilience to our horses so that they're able to cope in situations where, you know, they're uncomfortable or the environment is not conducive to natural levels of relaxation and performance, and and that's what I aim to do for, for riders. For yeah. riders
1: too. Well, that's exactly a great segue right there. I think you'd be a proponent of not just practice makes perfect, but perfect practice makes perfect, so you're prepared when you get there. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. And so intentional practice. There you go. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. And the, you know, in the, the possibility thinking, you're a possibility thinker, where do you do your best thinking when you're coming up with what you need to do for the day?
4: I am. I think I'm blessed. I'm blessed in that I do have an environment that's really Mm -hmm. conducive to how I like to work. I we live right on the On the edge of a little inlet which leads out to the ocean and we're very rural kind of set in the mountains and I've got my little office in the garden and I think that time with my horses and and I know that might sound a little bit cliche but really that is the biggest grounds for actually not only experientially putting into practice what it is that I preach and teach but also just the learnings that I get from the interactions with them I mean really I think of how it is we are with our horses as a representation of our relationship with ourselves, be that in the saddle, be that on the ground. Um, and so my thinking time is, you know, very much based on, or the, the ideas that I have is, is very much based on the interactions that I have with them, but also the conversations that I have every day with members of Joyride, which is my membership program, and, and just space, I guess. You do have to actually actively cultivate Space in the day for yourself to ideate and marinate on on different thoughts so that you have that reserve to draw from yeah
1: that's so important yeah it's absolutely and some people call it mindfulness and being in the moment and, and when working with your horses too uh, and that's when they teach us the most probably uh, absolutely but allowing, yeah mm-hmm, yeah so, and that's
4: a constant practice as well yeah. it's not something that just comes and all of a sudden you're a mindful human being or a mindful horse person. It's like, that's a, a choice that you set out to be, a, you know, to cultivate It's an intention that you cultivate and it's a practice that needs to be initiated daily.
1: Some people say that mindfulness is noticing things that stand out, things that are different. You might go mm-hmm. out and catch up your horse the same way every day, bring them in the same way every day. Uh, the mindful person actually notices something new that day, something about your horse or something mm-hmm. about the environment. The mindless person is not getting as much from it in that they are just in the routine. Do you agree with
4: that? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think mindfulness is a a responsiveness to your environment, an awareness and a responsiveness to your environment. And I would take it one step further to go, it's not only about the external, it's also about, An internal awareness of what it is that you're feeling, you know, how it is that you are operating in terms of ensuring that what it is that you're thinking, what it is that you're feeling, and how it is you're translating that into action is in alignment. And that's very much, it's such a skill, it's such an important skill as horse people because that lack of congruence between feeling and action is. It leads to a lack of clarity, it leads to a lack of reliability, and it leads to a lack of, yeah, just being able to be consistent in what it is that you're asking of your horse because, you know, it can create such a murky, murky energy. And for them, they rely on us to be honest in order to to feel safe, basically. Black
1: and white. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell us about Joyride. I, I want This is the part that I'm least confident in knowing, and that's what you work on <laughs> is our confidence. <laughs> so tell me yeah, about Joyride. Yeah,
4: it's true. Well, my overall business is called Confident Rider, and my membership program is called Joyride. So I have an online subscription site that people can sign up to. It's a monthly membership. And within that, there's several different pathways that are available that they work through that are designed on a, on a few different levels. So there's, there's obviously the mental skills and the intellectual and logical intelligence that all of us are very familiar with. And perhaps that's the most finely tuned and well worked out for, for many of us because that's the one naturally we use when we're at school. It's the one that's the most required at work in many instances, that kind of logical, empirical mm-hmm. way of thinking about things. What I'm also really interested in developing is emotional and intuitive intelligence so that you're able to understand what it is that you're feeling, translate that into a way that, you know, translate that into constructive action and then use it to the benefit of both you and your horse. Um, And I think for many of us, we've become shut down or unable to deal with emotions to such an extent that they either immobilize us or we're unable to take it in, in a useful direction. Um, anxiety is one such instance of that. Fear is another manifestation. There are different ways that emotions can come up unhelpfully in our riding, and we all know the, the kind of result of that. So Joyride is it's broken up into a series of pathways. The mm-hmm. first pathway is called the, the All-In Pathway, which is about exactly what you talked about before, cultivating intentional practice, really understanding what your dream is and defining your daily practice off the back of your dream. So, you know, what is it that you want to do with your horses? And then what is it that you're going to commit to on a daily basis in order to really bring those dreams to life? The difference, I guess, the approach that I've taken this year is to really let go of goals and to focus on what you need to commit to on processes and practices, because In in many instances, I found that this fixation on goals is really detrimental to ourselves and detrimental to our horses. Ironically, for someone in my position to talk about, I realize that sort of seems a bit left field. But the way that I look at it is that there, there are two distinct aspects to horsemanship. There's transformational horsemanship, where we are really understanding that our relationship with our horse has the ability to transform us on so many levels. And in order to be able to really create a partnership where not only we both have a voice, but we both have a voice that's being listened to, we have to look to ourselves first. We have to be able to emotionally manage ourselves and mentally manage ourselves in order to offer the horse a fair deal Mm -hmm. and to really be able to honour what it is that they're presenting us with, which is you know, the capacity to work with this incredible being, Mm -hmm. which is in my to my mind, a miracle in and of itself. The other side of it is transactional horsemanship where you work with a horse to get a result. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you get very transactional, when you're looking to win this thing or do this thing, you know, that's where horses become quite disposable, where we take you know, we put the onus outside of ourselves to create the change or to modify the behaviour and that's where things go a little bit pear shaped. Mm -hmm. So the the part that pathway focuses on that really identifying what you what it is you need to practice, not only what it is you need to commit to in terms of the actual actions of doing on a daily basis, but also who it is you need to practice being. Um, I think that many of us have this idea that uh, you know confidence is something that will come to us as a result of having achieved or done something. Mm-hmm. Confidence is something that you practice. You you choose each day to practice confidence. The same with patience, the same with bravery or kindness. These are, these are qualities that we need to intentionally cultivate in order to experience more of. And the other pathways deal specifically with emotional processing techniques, so really being able to create that mental framework and get yourself to a place where you do feel in alignment. There's a calm pathway which deals specifically with anxiety, another which deals with performance under pressure. So it's very it's it's a step-by-step process just to really create mental strengths um, deal with self-doubt and anxiety and and really um, get you to the place that you want to be. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So do you feel like you're more of a sports mental coach or do you really mesh the equestrian specifics to to your coach? I'm
4: exclusively equestrian. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't work with anyone but horse riders. mm
1: mm-hmm. Mhm. So it's all it's that interaction between horse and rider, though. It's I know you're training people, but it's got to be specific to how they deal with something that's very big and it can move much faster than us.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole the whole all of my one on one, all of my programs are based on how this is impacting your partnership and relationship with your horse. And, you know, regardless of where you want to take that, how it is that we're going to manage that in the in the best way possible to get the, the outcome that both of you want so you
1: you said somewhere uh, in my reading that you created Joyride to help writers recover their motivation, confidence, and freedom. Did writers have it and then lose it, or is this quite often?
4: It really it really depends on the circumstance. From experience, I have a lot of well, there's there's two camps of people that come to me. One is it's the end of the line. No. <laughs> you know, things are really bad. They've lost motivation or perhaps they've had an injury uh-huh. or they've lost confidence and they're at that stuck point where it's make or break. I don't know how to move forward. I can tell this is it's my problem, not my horse's problem yes. and I just don't know what to do about it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one place. The other place is I know that I'm good, but I want to be better and I don't know how to get to that next stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's either they've hit a plateau or they're really looking to get the best out of themselves and and that's the point that we're working from, that performance optimization point. Mm-hmm. There's also that, that okayness in the middle tends to be, you know, it, it, there needs to be a catalyst in one direction or the other to create change. And that point comes from either the desire to be, the best or you know the, the desire that's come from feeling like you've bottomed out in some way to me I forgotten what the original question was sorry
1: <laughs> no you're on you're definitely on track there too I think we were saying that they were recovering their motivation and you said there were two kinds there are those people that are recovering but those yeah, that, that want breakthrough yes, yes. absolutely and breakthrough yeah. is what I imagine you with the uh, you know Katie and Warwick and 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 the people that you're mm-hmm. working with at the WEG level at the high level but there's so many yeah. of us out there who who have maybe had an injury or you know they they were so good when they were kids and then all of a sudden they feel mortal at 40 plus.
4: Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very very common conversation that I'm having or well, after children or you know accident or they used to compete and then there's been a big space of time and mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened and so they're finding that how they used to feel just hasn't miraculously yeah. returned for some reason and they can't really understand why that's the case. So, yeah, that, that's generally – that would form the majority of the, of the conversations and the coaching that I do. Mm. I think there is a groundswell, though, of support for – and that this comes with the changing of consciousness in the horse world, I believe, towards wanting that partnership, towards recognising the level of responsibility – that we need to take in order to have these incredible relationships with our horses. And so that category, if you want to think of it that way, doesn't necessarily fall in those two places that that's more about development, you know, self-development and, and desire to have, this incredible right. yeah partnership. i
1: agree i mean that's where i get into oh there's different different disciplines like motivational interviewing or nlp and neuro-linguistic mm-hmm. programming. Mm-hmm. all these things you know if they recognize mm-hmm. the qualities of horses and how good those yeah. are for the inside of us man these guys would just they'd be equestrians yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> it's a lot of fun so
4: true, and how blessed we are to realize yes. that you know
1: how how fortunate we are yeah i i totally agree and thank you Thank you, Jane Pike, for bringing that to so many people. Because remember, these people aren't all professional equestrians out there that are listening to this. They, they would love to find a way to live your life. I'm sure I've, wouldn't we all a beautiful country, beautiful <laughs> life, but they recognize that they go to work each day so that they can afford their horse so that they do get a little bit of that environment from their horse. Yeah, in, don't we all?
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the essence of it. Like, regardless of where you want to take it it doesn't matter if you have competitive desires or not. It's it's if you have that partnership and, and the way that I like to think of it is that I want to have that feeling with my horse, like we could go to war together. Yeah. Like he would have my back, I would have his his back. There's nothing that we could turn down as being a concern. And when I have when I have that feeling or if I'm able to cultivate and move towards that feeling, then where we want to take that is It can be anywhere. You know, the rest is not to diminish the work that goes into performing at a high level, but the rest is just gymnastics. You know, if you have that relationship, if you have that base of trust and relaxation and your horse is able to emotionally self-manage, you are able to emotionally self-manage, then the sky's the limit. Like what what you can do with that is just so incredible
1: mm-hmm. that's so good so i saw and i'll wrap up with this i just think there's just so much more we could talk about jane i want to have it back <laughs> because there's all these articles that i'm seeing opened up on a page of pdf that you sent me to like um become an equine warrior okay Setting yourself up for success, <laughs> the confidence formula, award-winning, I, you showing a piece of paper that says, I can't, but you're snipping off the uh, apostrophe T <laughs> to I can't and fight the fear. Mm-hmm. There are so many of my friends and so many people listening to this too, who I know want to read each one of those articles too. So I would love <laughs> to have you back and I would love oh, to drill down on some of those points too, so that they can learn a little bit from you. And I hope people will check it out, the Joyride and your... Your website
4: is www.confidentrider.online.
1: All right. So please go there. You don't even have to go all the way to New Zealand. You can get Jane. No,
4: (laughs) exactly. Everything I do is online.
1: Yeah. And you have a Facebook, a pretty active Facebook uh, page where you have uh, some Facebook live clinics that are for joyride members. Is that right?
4: That's for non-members. So anything on the confident rider Mm -hmm. page is public. And then Joyride is the membership program, so that's different content for paid members of my program. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Perfect. Well, Jane, Jane Pike, thank you so much for joining us on Horse Thank Project you Radio. so much. I hope you will come back.
4: I would love to. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Cavallo, Horse, and Rider, Carol, and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio, and we thought, you know what, better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots. So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hoof protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground, and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding, including trails, gaming, and drill, and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put truly those boots to test i believe that in horsemanship you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you and for me that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the cavallo boots brenna A lifetime equestrian of varying disciplines, Warwick Schiller moved from his home country of Australia in his 20s to the United States in order to pursue his dream of training horses. He focused his competitive efforts on reining, eventually becoming an NRHA, National Reining Horse Association, reserve world champion, and also representing Australia at the 2010 and 2018 World Equestrian Games. His unique ability to convey his knowledge to others became apparent when he successfully went on to coach individuals who garnered coveted reigning titles themselves, such as the NRHA World Champions, NRHA Rookie of the Year, Australian Champions, and U.S. Champions, and fellow WEG team members, too. Well, welcome. I love Aussie's Warwick Schiller. How are you today?
0: I'm wonderful. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. But you, you don't live in Australia anymore now. I, I, I think you're you're turning into a Californian, from what I hear.
0: Well, you know, I think I've lived in California as long as I've lived in Australia. So I'm, I'm oh, 52 wow. now, and I think I've lived in, in both countries for 26 years. So That's, it's getting pretty even.
1: It's a tipping point. Does that mean you have to go back?
0: Mm. No. No, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> no, you've got your beautiful wife, Robin, and you've got your son, Tyler. And Tyler, is he still going to school in San Diego now?
0: He's still goes to school in San Diego and will graduate in May.
1: Ah well, congratulations! That means you get to graduate almost.
0: So it's almost. it's a
1: good thing when the parent gets to that point. How did you choose Hollister for for yours and Robin's base?
0: Robin's family's from Hollister. Robin Imagine. went to high school here. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought it was really curious because I you know I I don't think of you. Uh, this is a misnomer. Natural horsemanship. I don't know how you define natural horsemanship, but what do you call this whole movement? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I right? wish I knew yeah. I mean I've always I've always not really liked the term natural horsemanship so much because that everybody has you know everybody has their dogma surrounding that like if you say the term in someone the lens they view things through that it'll be that lens and it might not necessarily be what I view it through so I I've not really ever liked the term I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it but I personally haven't really ever liked it just because it doesn't it doesn't say what a person does. It it almost mm-hmm. is in the eye of the beholder. It it almost is what the person who's listening to you thinks it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you too. And and I think the curious thing is, yeah, I don't even know what the Dorrance brothers thought about it, or Ray Hunt. Wish I could have asked them, but. It's interesting, though, that Hollister and that whole area basically birthed this movement, which is interesting to me because uh, growing up, it was pretty extreme. You know, I I grew up uh, south of there. My parents were born and raised in Salinas, California, though. And and now you're not too far from all that. And do you find it curious that this whole movement uh, away from, well, maybe traditional, let's just lump it as traditional horsemanship, was birthed out of that area?
0: You know, I think it may have came to prominence here, but those guys you know, like there's a hill range of hills behind our house that we can see out the kitchen window. And I know Ray Hunt worked on that ranch for a while and the Donces were around here quite a bit, but I don't think it was really birthed here. I mean, I think it might have may they may have lived here when this stuff started to come become prominent. But I mean they bought the they bought that stuff with them, I think, mm-hmm. from other places. Mm-hmm. And and also I've read that there were a lot of older guys around here who learnt from the real vaqueros back in the day, because this is all yep. Spanish land grant country here. And mm-hmm. so I, I imagine some of that got mixed in there too. I have read stories about Tom or Bill Doran spending time with a guy over in Gilroy, an old uh, Hispanic fellow over in Gilroy that he learned a lot of stuff from. So that mm-hmm. would have come from the vaqueros.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think they were such good horsemen because they had to be right. I mean, the the Spanish land grant, if they didn't have a horse, they were sunk so <laughs> that was their right. whole business right and and getting the cattle to the ocean and and that's that was about the only means of making any money unless you were living off of them back here but anyway I, I love talking to people from California because we have so little history here except for horses really which is pretty interesting and and uh, so let's get into your horsemanship. And and now I want to hear how you brought a little of, a, of Australia with you and your good horsemanship and your background. So what is your horsey background? Did you grow up with horses? You
0: born in the saddle? No, not really. But I grew up around, you know, I grew up on a 1,200 acre, we would call it a farm. You'd probably call it a ranch in Australia. My father rodeoed. So I did all like the rough stock events. And then he ended up getting into the time events when he got i get two off for the rough stock events. And mm-hmm. about the same time, quarter, that was the late 60s, and about the same time quarter horses were being imported into Australia, first one, and he got into the quarter horses because of the, the timed events, the, the calf roping and stuff. So I probably started riding, I'm guessing I was seven or eight. Yeah, that's
1: pretty young, that's, yeah. That's
0: my, that's my best guess. I, it's like, I'm trying to, you know, I don't think it was any earlier than that. We didn't have well, a lot of family photos, so I can't really tell.
1: Oh, I see. I see. Well, if you, if it's as far back as you can remember, that's probably. A good start, Young. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love some of the the wisdom that you bring, and I don't think it's just the Aussie accent. But And I thought what I could do is maybe just ask you a little bit about certain – I've watched some of the videos and certain little ideas that you toss out there, and I don't want to define them. I thought maybe I could just sort of hint at what they are, and you can tell us how you describe and how you teach them and talk a little bit about what you do with people because you train horses, but you really teach people. And I heard you say something about a fifty-foot trail ride. Tell me about that.
0: No, oh, so the fifty-foot trail ride. So a lot of people have trouble with trail riding their horse either doesn't want to leave, and if they make, you know, they go out in the trail, and the horse might get a certain distance and then want to stop and not want to go forward, and then have a big old wrestle, and the horse rears up, and now the horse is a rarer, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Or they have trouble with them rushing home on the trail ride, and and I lump those things into a category that I call destination addiction. Have Uh, you ever heard of destination addiction?
1: No, but it's a good name. I think I know what it is.
0: It's it's a meme I read on Facebook. I get all my information off Facebook, don't you? Yeah, (laughs) we should. (laughs) There's a meme I read on on Facebook a few years ago, and it said, beware of destination addiction. Destination addiction is the idea that you'll find happiness in your next house, in your next car, or with your next partner until you give up the idea that happiness is somewhere else, it will never be where you are. That's good. And so when you're riding a horse and they wish they were somewhere else, like a horse when you're going out on the trail ride and it doesn't want to go forward, it's not that it doesn't want to go forward. If you turn around and point it towards home, it'll go forward just fine. So a lot of people think that's a forward issue. My horse won't go forward, whereas it's not a forward issue. It's my horse won't go away from a place that they feel the most comfortable, they're most attracted to. Or my horse can't stop because I'm going home on a trail ride and my horse just wants to rush home. You know, a lot of times people say my horse is hot because he wants to rush home. He jigs all the way home. And um, lately I've been talking a lot about a quote by an American philosopher named Wayne Dyer. And Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And in this in this instance, you know, the horse that doesn't want to go forward on the trail, it's not a forward problem because if you turn around and point him home, they'll go forward just fine. So that's not a yeah. forward problem. Yeah. And the horse that's hot and wants to jig, when he gets home and you turn him loose in the pasture, he doesn't jig around the pasture. He doesn't run mm. around. He's not hot. He doesn't want to be hot. He doesn't want to jig. He's doing that to get to the place where he feels the most comfortable. And so the 50-foot trail ride is just the thing I do. I, I, I tell people, so when you're going to go for a trail ride, you know, leave the barn and point them in the direction you want to go and just turn loose the reins. Don't help them at all. And they'll go about 10 feet and they'll turn around and walk straight back to the barn.
3: Yeah.
0: And I say, when they get there, just pick up, a maybe just walk small circles or maybe just pick up a trot and go back along around the, lap around the barn or up and down the fence and turn to the fence, whatever you want to do until your horse kind of says, you know what, this is not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Is there something else you, we could do? And then you just offer them the try ride and they might go, You know, they might go 20 feet this time and then they go back and then you'll do the same thing. And the reason I call it the 50 foot trial ride, because if your horse will go 50 feet away from home and not think about going back, what I do at that point in time is turn them around and go home. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to check the speed at which they walk home versus the speed they walked out at. If they walk out at a certain speed, but when you turn them around and point towards home, they walk just a tad faster that's telling you they're not really ready to go 10 miles from home because they may go out. But when you turn them around and point them towards home, there's going to be an increase in speed going home. So I usually work on that first 50 feet until walking away and walking home at the same speed. And then they may go a little bit further, a little bit further. And by the time you get, you know, 300, 400 feet from home and you can go back and forth and it's not, you know, it's the same going out as this coming back and, and you don't have to help them. You just point them and off they go on a loose rein, usually by then you can go for as long a trail ride as you want, really. Mm. But all that's doing is getting rid of what I call that destination addiction. They think, when we get home, I'm going to get to rest. Well, you're just proving them to it that it's not rest. Now, it's not punishment either. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to punish them they get home. It's not punishment. It's just exercise, you know, just uh, movement, more movement than they were doing in that whole You know, the whole uh, make the wrong thing hard, right thing, easy thing, a lot of people think it's about making things hard. But really, it's just about the comparison between one and the other. You know, Mm -hmm. one's walking, one might be walking in circles. You know, going out on the trail road might be walking, going back to the barn might be walking in circles. They're both walking, but one's harder than the other. And I think a lot of people hear the term make the wrong thing hard or the wrong thing difficult and the right thing easy and they take it as a license to make things difficult for their horse, whereas mm. really it's about making things easy. And, and the way I describe it, at like at clinics and horse expos and stuff, is it's really about comparison. You know, at a horse expo, I'll say, can everybody stand up? And everybody will stand up. And I'll say, now, yeah. does anybody find standing up hard? And everybody shakes their head, no, it's not hard. And I said, okay, everybody sit down. Okay, does everybody think sitting down is easier and standing up, and everybody tends to nod. And I say, you know, wrong thing hard and right thing easy is just like that.
2: Mm.
0: In this case, the wrong thing would be standing up. It's not hard. but sitting down easier. And yeah. so the, I think, you know, that's a, a big paradigm shift, like changing the way you look at that that phrase. We all tend to, I think we're a, you know, a bit of an argumentative type species, and mm. we tend to focus on that hard versus yeah. the easy.
1: That's so true. It's even like the term positive consequences and negative consequences. I think we we really kind of mess that up, that negative is just taking something out of the equation, isn't it? It's not negative, uh, you know, like a bad thing, but it's taking something yeah. out of the equation, scientifically anyway, and positive is just putting something into the equation. Now, if you're putting something in that isn't good, <laughs> that's, that's not a positive consequence so yeah i know we we all get mixed up sometimes and sometimes our discipline uh is a consequence and people kind of you know don't like that word either but i think i think i know where i'd like you to go because let's talk a little bit about what your discipline of choice is i know you train a lot of different horses and kinds of horses and breeds of horses too but you have an extreme sport that you took all the way to the world equestrian games and that's am i right
0: I don't know if you'd call it an extreme sport, but, I but do. yeah,
1: my mom does it. So I, I definitely think it's an extreme sport. So.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we went to, I was on the Australian team for the world of games in 2010 and then 2018 last year. And, um, it was the first time we got to do it was amazing. And we thought we'd never get a chance to do it again. It mm-hmm. was uh, like, you know, marriage, childbirth, world of games in oh, that well, order. That's cool. Yeah, it was yeah. very, very cool. And so last year we were lucky enough to get a chance to do it again. And, you know, Australia is a rather isolated country and there's a lot of good raining trainers there and here in the US actually that are Australians that didn't have the opportunity, you know, the time or the right horse or whatever to qualify for the Water Question Games. And so, you know, I haven't shown in the raining for the last four years because I've been doing clinics all over the world and I was a bit rusty, but, um, like I said, there are were, there were other guys way more qualified than me who weren't able to make the, the mountain uh, campaign because it's a campaign to actually yeah, sure. to get to do it. And so I had, I had decided last year to take the year off from clinics to, to work on some other stuff. So I actually had the time to do it. So we're very fortunate to be able to get to, to do it again. And it was an amazing experience.
1: Yeah. It sounded like amazing. but you, I mean, at that level too, to be on a world stage, the world equestrian games is, is phenomenal and you deserved it. You earned it. And we're all glad that you were able to, to make that, that platform as well. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, since your philosophies about your horses are what I think are g- great, that the raining is sometimes and I, and I jokingly call it extreme sport just because uh, I think anybody can do it and it's really exciting for me. That's an extreme sport. That's good, but I I have found that people believe that these horses are hyped up and their adrenaline is at a higher level than most disciplines. And I couldn't at the top level. I I couldn't be further. I I think. You know, that's just not true. I find those horses super relaxed and super; their adrenaline is really low. Tell me tell me what your take is on that.
0: Well, here you go. I'll quote Nuno Oliveira. You know who Nuno Oliveira was?
1: I do, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so my favorite Nuno Oliveira quote is, your horse mid to be relaxed yet remain powerful. And so it's got to have the ups and the downs. It's got to have the relaxation plus the dynamic moves. And raining is every aspect of the raining is about both of those. If you think about mm-hmm. say and I'm not picking on barrel racing, let's say barrel racing, it's it's speed the whole time. There is no come down. I mean think about I suppose if they rate at a barrel, that's coming back a bit. But with the raining, there is the ups and the downs in everything you do that this you know, when you do your circles, for anybody's not familiar with raining, you do three circles in each direction. Two of them will be large, fast, one will be small, slow. That is one maneuver. And so they have to be able to go fast and they have to be able to go slow. And you can only get given credit for the fast if you can slow down afterwards. Um, The same thing with the spins. The spins, if, if, say, your pattern started with four spins to the right, the, the running pattern would say, walk to the center of the arena, complete four spins to the right, hesitate. That hesitate is part of the maneuver. Your horse has to be able to spin really fast and then stand still. And as a judge, I've been a reigning judge in the past, as a judge, if a horse spins really fast, but then they stop and the horse is agitated and can't stand still, is dancing Mm -hmm. around, that detracts from your maneuver. Uh, Same thing with the, the sliding stop. Your horse has to come around the corner and run down in a straight line and they have to go first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, stop, roll back, first gear. And that is all judged too. So if your horse comes around the corner and goes from first gear to fourth gear, doesn't matter how good the stop is. The approach had some anxiety and some lack of control on the rider's part. And so you're not going to be given the credit for it. So it's, it's really all about managing your horse's emotional side. And if you look at any high-level reining horse, when they leave the arena, that tells you if they got hyped up or not. And as soon as they – it's like a really good cutter, you know, a really good cutter finishes working the cow, they drop their the horse, walks out. I really think that – if you can just observe a horse after they've done what they do whatever it is polo horse thoroughbred racing horse running horse whatever what they look like at the end when they're no longer doing it gives you an idea of how they mentally perceive the whole thing
1: yeah yeah I couldn't agree more that's that's a wonderful way to say it too love the gears too that's that's something i think the judges are actually judging for now that that harmony is a wonderful thing to see come around in the last 20, 30 years of reigning. Don't you agree?
0: Oh, yeah. You know, I've been doing it for a while. And, and you know, that I've, I've been an NRHA judge in the past. and not anymore because I don't have time to judge anymore because I'm traveling so much. But mm. they really do a very, very good job at the judges' seminars of really, really making aware people, you know, judges aware of what they can, you know, give credit for. And there's five things you can give credit for. Finesse, attitude, quickness, authority, and smoothness. And w- only one of those actually has speed. That's the quickness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of them is attitude. So you're looking at your horse's basically mental state, how their ears are, how their eyes are, how their mouth is. You know, finesse is one of them. So finesse, attitude, we talked about that, quickness. So that's that's actually speed. Authority mm-hmm. is how more about how dynamic they are doing it. When they slow down, do they slow down one stride? When they spin, do they... Have to build speed, or can they just go into that fast spin right off the bat? And the last one is smoothness. So, a lot of people tend to think it's about speed, but it's a bit like the old driving advertising campaign speed kills. If you can't do it well going slow, going fast will only make it worse.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And um, how do you choose your horses? How do you end up with the horses that you end up competing on?
0: Well, the horse I competed on at the Water Question Games. So I bought him for a client seven years ago, possibly almost eight years ago now. I bought him for a client and I showed him for her for probably three years and I sold him to, or maybe two years, and I sold him to another client who she competed on in the barn and I haven't trained outside horses for the last four years. But then when I stopped training horses, the client who owned him started riding with a young guy that had been working for me for three or four years. And so he was over there and then her name, the girl's name was Anna and she called me New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, three years ago, I think. And she said, oh, I'm going to have to sell Piggy. Do you know anybody who might want to buy him?
1: Mm.
0: <laughs> and I said, yes, my wife.
1: Oh, <laughs> Robin.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't even ask Robin, but, yeah, we've always yeah. <laughs> loved that horse. And so we bought uh-huh. him then, and he was for Robin to show. Robin showed him very successfully for a couple of years. And then when the World of Question Games came up, I kind of stole him back from her. And yeah. Robin, Robin bought another horse named Oscar. And Oscar was the oldest running horse right. at the World of Question Games. Really awesome! He, yeah, he's, how old is he? He's fourteen. He's fourteen, wow. and we bought him December two thousand and seventeen, with the intention of Robin qualifying for the Water Question Games on him, and then possibly borrowing a, a, a better horse because the way it's you don't have to you don't have to own the horse you compete on, and so she's probably going to use try to use him to qualify on, and then try to borrow a better horse, and and in the getting to know him in the qualifying stages, she. We really connected with him and just fell in love with him. And so not only did she compete on him at the Water Question Games, we also are gonna keep him. He's kind of like one of those keeper horses. He's just such yeah. a cool dude.
1: Yeah. Oh good. Well, he won the lottery. Finding you too. That's great. That's cool. Cool story too. I didn't know he was the oldest. At fourteen. That's that's actually not as old as I thought you would
0: say. He was the oldest horse there and, and our horses I guarantee were the only two reigning horses there that live in a pasture together. Oh, yeah. That's awesome, work. I
1: love that. Mm. I love it. Do you Do you see common, I'm thinking about you and Robin, do you see common denominators in good horsemen?
0: Oh, yeah. Yes. And probably the big common denominator is the ability to be mentally present and to have no ego. Mm.
1: Mentally present and have no ego. That's a hard mm. thing for a lot of horsemen to do.
0: Yeah, I think, but the really good ones, like the ones who, and I'm not talking good horseman, as in someone who's good at a discipline. Um, a lot of times I think the discipline gets in the way because you've got to have some ego to, to do that. But like the really good horsemen who can, who can really help any horse, not just teach a horse to do a discipline at a high level, but almost help any horse. They really have a, um, a vibe about them. Have you ever met Jonathan Field from Canada?
1: I haven't met him. I know the name.
0: He's a, that guy he's, He's got like a vibe about him, and he's amazing mm. with horses. But whenever I'm around that guy, I just—I don't know—feel like a better person after to being mm-hmm. around him.
3: And, and I really I find that you...
0: people who are really, really good with horses mm-hmm. kind of have that vibe about them. And I think it's a, a complete lack of ego.
1: Probably their heart rate is about thirty-five or forty, maybe tops. And uh, right, they—they tend to be relaxed. So
0: mine's, mm-hmm. mine's mine's forty-six all the time. So I have the rest. Have the resting heart rate of Olympic athletes. Doesn't mean I'm fit. It's just right. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But,
1: no, but, it's DNA too. I, I I do believe it. But I think you probably keep it down around your horses long enough that you've just stuck there anyway. Which is, I think that is a a good attribute in a horseman. I, I yeah, find.
0: Yeah, it could be. I'm. You just mentioned the word stuck, and I think there's a possibility of getting stuck there.
1: Yeah, you think you are?
0: Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Good. What What's some old stuff in, in the that we bring into the tradition of horsemanship that you think we should throw out?
0: Oh, wow! Well, I could go on for hours about this. Well, I've had aii I've had a huge. You said you watched some videos. Have you watched some YouTube videos? Is that what you've watched? I yeah. have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so probably in the last two years, I've almost completely changed my outlook on anything to do with horses, and uh, so. I can talk about this for hours, but I, I really have changed or given up labeling horses. I don't, I don't say that they're, I don't say that they're lazy or they're angry or they're aggressive or they're whatever. I think most horse behaviors come from the horse being anxious and how they manifest that anxiety. They may, they may be in one of the the three states of the sympathetic nervous system, they may be in flight, they may be in fight, they may be in freeze, but all of them are caused by worry. And I, I really used to think that, like a lot of lazy horses are actually just shut down. And like, they, you know, they they don't, they, they're blocked out. You know, they can't control the, the surroundings around them. So they kind of block the world out and they're a little bit numb. Um, horses that are aggressive, I think those horses are actually, they're not aggressive, they're defensive mm-hmm. and all that comes from anxiety. And so I, I think a lot of the labeling that we, that I used to put on horses, I no longer, I no longer do. I, and I, so I think if you're going to change, you know, if you're going to change some old thing about that, that's something i probably tend to, well, I personally would tend to change. I'm at the point now where I, you know, I think everybody's on a, a bit of a journey with life and with horses and. Mm-hmm. Be, probably because I've made a big change in the last two years, when I was at the place where I was at before, I thought I was right.
2: Mm.
0: You know, I'm pretty sure I'm right. And you're not yeah. right because you're, you know, you think you know everything, but like, I'm I'm sure this is, this is the way. This is the way. This is the best way to do it. I've looked at everything else. This is the best way to do it. And then two years later, I look back and I'm like, oh, no, I don't think that's right. And so now I, I really think that everybody No matter what they're doing, they're doing it with the best intentions. They're they're working, they're doing the best job they can with the information they have and the life experiences Mm -hmm. they have at that time. So it really stops you from being judgmental about other people. I think in the past, Um, I've been quite judgmental of people who didn't do what I do. You know what I mean?
1: You're very humble. I I appreciate that. I, I, I do. I think we all fall into that category. You're naming yourself, but I think every horseman out there, the best ones I think want to continue to learn. And that's what I hear in you too.
0: Yeah, well, I I'd been continuing to learn, so it's an interesting. I'd, I'd been continuing to learn, but I'd been continuing to learn more of the stuff I already knew. So I was going further down the same path I was on. It wasn't like I wasn't taking new things in, but the only new things I was taking in were very similar to the stuff I already I already knew. So I was getting better at that. And what I've done the last couple of years is looked uh, outside that that, you know, that one specific dogma sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, whoa, did I have my eyes open as to what, what else is really out there, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah. It, it, I think a lot of people, well, maybe it's because we're older, <laughs> but I think looking back is, is a fun way to see what, where, how, how far we've come, I guess, too.
0: I have a large online video platform and I've been, I've had it there for years and years and years and years. You know, I've probably been doing it for, Six years now, maybe
1: it's over 500
0: like videos. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. There's a, and all the like all my videos on YouTube are just short clips, but the ones on my online subscription are full length training videos. You know, sometimes a full series, like a horse comes in, I show it the first day, second day, third day, whatever. And so that's gone quite well for me. And I had a I don't know if I have to name it, but I, I won't name it. But i have some I had someone from your area a few years ago, a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago, contact me about starting up a online video platform and this person has won the snap a bit for charity, and this person is also won- also in the cowgirl hall of fame so you probably know who it is but- I do. and she-, she was asking me about she called me and she was asking me about getting started on the video platform thing and i said well the lucky thing for you is you've got all those you know you've been putting out videos for years you've got all those videos you could just put them on there so you've already got all the footage. She goes, oh, I can't use that. Some of those are five years old. I do everything completely different now, <laughs> which I thought was so cool. <laughs> that's great.
1: <laughs> Stuff's old. It's five years old. Isn't that cool? I'm yeah, um, five years old, yeah. There's somebody in the Hall of Fame who's saying, no, no, I've changed, I'm changing everything constantly. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great story. The long term for the industry, you've got a son who's coming out of college, who's maybe not as famous as you are yet in the saddle, but he can ride, <laughs> but you want him to maybe join you in the business and, and travel with you and Robin and, and you do a lot of that. So what's, what do you see as the long term for the horse industry? I, I love to keep horses in people's lives. Can we do it?
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely think so. I think, you know, i you know, I've, I was talking a minute ago about I've changed a lot of things I've done in the last few years. See, I went from being a professional trainer who was competing. So my main thing was competing. I mean, I, I took in a lot of problem horses to solve what I called problem horses at the time to solve the, the issues with them. But it was basically you get the horse, you work with the horse, you put it back in the stall. Get the next horse out, work with the horse, put it back in the stall. So it was more horse training. And now these days, because we we bought six acres here in Holder, so we have our horses at home, we have had them here, we've had this place for three and a half years now, and it's turned into more uh, relationship training than it is, I, I, I you know, I've, I've kind of got on my video platform now, I've got two paths you can go down, the path I used to do, which I've called the skills path, you yeah. know, you're training these, you're teaching these horses skills, and while you are teaching them skills, because of the consistency and the empathy you use teaching them those skills, you will build some relationship with them. But then there's the path I'm on now, which is what I call the relationship path, where you, it's all about the relationship, and it mm-hmm. seems to build skills you don't even have to teach them. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm now more in line with the people who subscribe to my videos because, be, you know, most of them are people who have their horse at home, they have one horse. Um, and I was teaching people from the perspective of a professional horse trainer that mm-hmm. the people I'm, I've am i been teaching have not been in that realm sort of thing. So it's interesting now because it's almost like I've, I have more of the same outlook on horses as the people who I've been teaching all these years. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, been a, it's been a bit of an interesting paradigm shift for me.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting. I I hope you'll come and visit us sometime in solving and and then we'll get to see you all sometime, too. We have I'd love to. Oh, I'd love to have you. I, I'd love to show you. In April twenty nine and thirty, we have a thing called the movement, and it is a, a lot of what you're you're speaking about. It's using horses in demonstrations, but it's the discoveries that people make and are using in their vocations. You know, whether they're teachers or parents, because that is you're speaking to the bulk of horse owners, which is the recreational owner has you know one or two horses or has access to a horse maybe, and that's who who really are. The, the students out there that they want technique, but they, they really want relationship too. And it sounds yep. like you provide both. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, well,
0: do, now. Yeah. I, 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 I right. do now. I don't think exactly. I did. Right. Exactly. Yes. I don't think I did in the past. But uh, yeah, doing the clinics around the world, for the longest time, I was thinking I was doing horse training clinics. But then I started to realize that you could have 10 different people do a certain technique exactly the same way, and it affects the horses differently from each person and and it really has to do with what's going on inside you when you use that technique you know your energy what you what you're thinking so you're kind of your inner landscape and so what i've been doing i took the whole year off last year from clinics to try to get all this stuff straight in my head and so i just Mm -hmm. started back i did two four clinics in australia last month and they went off really really well but it's the clinics these days are more about helping the people help their horse more so than teaching the people to train their horse. And it's really, it's really, yeah, it's really a different dynamic and it seems like the, the results with the horses are much better, but you're not doing as much stuff with the horse. I'm doing more with the people and just what their, you know, landscapes up to, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, Warwick, you have a wonderful vibe about you, and you sound like a wonderful horseman, and I I appreciate being able to share you with the listeners, and I know people will love you. So, how do they find you? What's the website?
0: It's which, for all you Americans that don't know how Warwick How do you spell that? W- yeah. <laughs> it's, w- it's W, it's spelled Warwick, W-A-R-W-I-C-K.
1: And Schiller, S-C-H-I-L-L-E-R.
0: S-H-I- That's correct.
1: If they got that, go to the show notes. Uh, People can go on our website, horsemanshipradio.com, if they didn't get all that. But I hope, more than anything, they'll go to warwickshuler.com and also your Facebook page, which is pretty darn active and fun. And uh, and I have
0: have over 300 videos on YouTube. They can have a look at them for free, too.
1: Exactly. exactly. No, you're a great horseman, and I appreciate you coming on Horsemanship Radio, and I hope you'll come back.
0: Oh, I'd love to. It's been fun. You asked (laughs) all the right questions. Oh,
1: that's very nice of you. I've got tons more. And so I'd love to have you and Robin on sometime, too. That would be fun.
0: Oh, yeah, she's a hoot.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's why you married her. All right, thank you very much. We will talk to you soon.
3: Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox. And share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call "Ask Monty."
3: Leave this world a better place The magic in the language of the herd.
2: Dear Monty,
5: would you say that it's acceptable to geld horses in order to make them easier to handle? Monty's answer. I firmly believe that only trained professionals should handle stallions. When I use the term trained professionals, I am referring to professional horse people who are very experienced in practical hands-on work with stallions. It is my opinion that all entire male horses that will potentially be handled by amateurs should be castrated. I have many strong reasons for making this recommendation, far too many to list here. Above all, the danger factor is just too high. One cannot entirely control nature. I have witnessed too many injuries and deaths where amateurs and stallions were involved. Often I find it dangerous enough when professionals are handling stallions, and I am not comfortable advising casual horse people to expose themselves to those potential natural risks. Suffice it to say that stallions should be castrated unless they are going to be controlled throughout their entire lives by highly skilled individuals. I have had some of my greatest successes in competitions with geldings. Even though I've been a professional in the horse business virtually all my life, I would now greatly prefer to ride and handle a gelding. They are effective in competition and, in my
1: opinion, have lost none of their zest for life. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips.
0: Hi. I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forums, And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at montyroberts.com.
2: the wide, wide world of sports is going on here. Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. April 29 and 30, it's coming right up. The movement at Flag Is Up Farms in Solvang, California. A journey with horses and people who love them. May twenty fifth, 2019 is our night of inspiration at Flag Is Up Farms. Hold these regularly and they're very popular. July 22 through 26 is a Monty Special Training in Portuguese with our Brazilian friends. And then July 29 through August 2nd is Monty Special Training in California. The iconic one, all in english august 5th through 16th then is our two-week course gentling wild horses and it is what they say that's in Salvan, california as well at flag is at farms
2: now gentling wild horses clinic
1: mm-hmm. now
2: is that appropriate for someone to go to who has limited equestrian experience as a whole are they going to be able to get something out of that
1: Yes, they would come as an auditor. Some people call them observers Mm -hmm. and they don't have to get in the pen with them. And, uh, you know, if it's somebody who is has limited ability or limited mobility, uh, that is still welcome because people love horses and they kind of like to see um, the whole process. And when do we really get to see that whole process? How many people actually get to see their own horses started? Some people That's call true. it breaking in or, you know, just it's a kind of a rare moment in the horse and usually sent off, you know, yes, <laughs> where do they go? Right. We don't know, but yeah. yeah. And so that starting process is a pretty precious thing. And I think more people should know about it. And a lot of people are fascinated by that. So we literally get the most uh, expressive wild horses that we can find and start them from, you know, not, not these horses that come in a halter, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there are no halters involved in the there beginning no days of this. Still. Yeah. We so, actually have to do that. So yes, um, you can observe, we have a gentling pen that has a uh, seats all around it. You've seen it, I think, aren't you? Yes, I have. It's, yeah. And then a very safe safety is our number one goal in a very small enclosed we'd call it a catch pin, maybe size with padded and rubber and everything, you know, so that um, if there is an expression, everything and everybody is safe. So those people willing to go in and we, we deem them uh, able to do that safely. You go in with the team. So we usually go in in threes and maybe fours um, with of course, advanced instructors and Monty's there too.
2: So there, it's, this is not something where you're going to be asked to step outside of your knowledge level and put yourself or the horse at risk. This is very much, if you want to go and learn by observing, which you can do a lot of, by the way, that's an excellent opportunity. And you made a really, really good point right there, and you probably didn't even realize it. The vast majority of horses, when they're started, the only person who observes all of that, Is the trainer doing the training and perhaps his staff or her staff? And I think for someone who is going to have a horse and have it professionally started by someone else, whether it's a Mustang or something else, this would be a really, really good opportunity to get an idea of how it should work, what it should look like.
1: Yeah. It's time for that to be common knowledge, I think, because a lot of people find out later that their horse, that was really sweet and calm, comes back maybe a little changed, maybe a little more distant, maybe a little less trusting, and you want to know number one, what happened in there? Maybe nothing bad, but what can you do to win that trust back? Um, you know what? What was the thing that happened while they were there? I think people should ask. I think people should know, and I think people should ask how they follow on from there too to yep. keep that relationship going absolutely you know, exposure is good. light exposure. light on subjects is good. yeah
2: and it's it's good because when it comes to the starting of a new horse, wild or domestic mm-hmm. you should at least know enough to know what to ask. Yes. and if you didn't put that old memory, you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. If you've got more questions than that, you can call them over there at Flag is Up Farms. The phone number is 805-688-6288. And for today's show, that would be episode 131, you can go to horsemanshipradio.com and you'll find links, photos, and more information about today's topics and guests. And one of the ways we continue to make this show better is by your feedback on Facebook. And by the way, we'd love to see pictures of your ponies on Facebook. So that's I what's love horrifying. that. I love that. <laughs> Post your pictures. Please. Do that by going to Monty Roberts. You just type in Monty Roberts up there in the search bar. Click on the one with the little blue check mark because that's the official Monty Roberts Facebook page. Monty is also on face on Twitter and Instagram, and his handle on mm-hmm. both is Monty underscore
1: Roberts. Woohoo! that's right that's right lots of pretty photos i want to see yours too and to, to get the yep and to get the app go to the horse radio network and many thanks to our sponsors too that would be omega fields please support these guys they are doing a great job not only that they have a great product and that would be cavallo horse and rider and monty roberts we got all the worlds what goes in your horse what goes on your horse and what we do about our own selves to train them. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.